Today on Startup Talk Up podcast, we have Guy Bevington, founder of recruitment firm True North. When we dive deeper into the motivation of creating that company, I'm sure you will agree that there is more to Guy than meets the eye. A fascinating conversation with everything from sage advice to those seeking career changing opportunities to how to address the gender gap in tech. This is the Startup Talk Up podcast, and my name is Manish Patel. If you like what you're hearing, please check out the Just Giving link in the description and donate to Prostate Cancer UK. Enjoy the conversation. Hello and welcome to Guy Bevington, recruiter extraordinaire. Um, I've always wanted to ask a recruiter this, but thought it would be a really stupid question to ask. When you need someone on your, when you need someone on your team as a recruiter, do you go to another recruiter? Well, Manish, firstly, thank you for having me. And um, well, the answer is, I mean, there's no such thing as a stupid question, as we all know, but the answer is, yes, you do. <laughs> um, so yeah, you may, you may or may not have heard of, but there's uh, recruitment agencies out there that recruit recruiters, believe it or not. So I did not know that actually. Yeah. That's that's really interesting. So recruitment agencies specifically for recruit recruiters. Yeah. So they're called they were called recruitment to recruitment. So rec to rec, basically. Interesting. And essentially, yeah, exactly the same job, but obviously just within the market of recruitment. Um, which like you say, I guess, yeah, to all intents and purposes from a logic point of view, you think, well, if you've already got that skill set, why would you go to another recruiter? And it's a very, very valid point. So um, I guess when we are looking for people in the team, I'll do probably what most companies do and I'll go to market first directly and I'll, you know, thankfully I do have a skill set where I'm, I'm um, pretty able to um, spot talent pretty quickly. But in the same breath, I also don't have um, the network, you know, the community necessarily in that particular vertical. I mean, I know a lot of people in recruitment from having been in the industry for 13 years, but when you are, um, no doubt will get on to talking about this but when you are working with a recruiter the one thing you're really paying for is access to their network and to their community so um, I'd only really work with a rec to rec I guess if they could bring me candidates that I couldn't find easily myself but I suppose that's the that's the point of every recruiter isn't it to be able to go out there and find those uh, those gems that the client that you're working with can't necessarily find themselves so, exactly, uh, exactly yeah and when you're building that network so yeah obviously people come to a recruiter to 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 have access to the network, um, but when you're building that network, it's you know from from my side, from a from the hiring side, it's you know you get ten messages on LinkedIn a day from a recruiter saying, "Hey, are you hiring?" Um, doesn't it get really ultra competitive to start to 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 grow your network in a in a qualitative way rather than a quantitative way? Yeah, it does quite frankly um you know and that's that's the thing about recruitment there's um a lot of people in it and a lot of noise i guess so a lot of candidates a lot of clients are just used to just constant um you know incoming traffic but like any market i always see that as an opportunity because i think that at the end of the day there's going to be a, a distribution of you know there's going to be bad recruiters there's going to be pretty average in the middle of the road and then there's going to be good recruiters and I think as long as you can angle yourself in the the upper echelon of that and in the way you interact with people and what you do then I think you you know you're going to be you're going to be all right um but yeah you're right I mean the, I think the last count of how many well I'll ask you actually see if you uh, see if you're in the ballpark how many recruitment agencies do you think there are in the UK as of 2021 
okay, I would say 10,000 agencies. Yeah, good, good guess. That's, that's generally speaking around where most people go, somewhere between five to 10, there's actually 37,000 agencies. Shut up. So, yeah, 37,000 in, in, in the whole UK. And so if you're, if you're recruiting for something as ubiquitous as software development, that's incredibly competitive. I mean, how do you get your, how do you get your head above the water in that? Well, do you know what? I mean, I, I, it, you're right. It is a very saturated marketplace because it is a very um, buoyant marketplace. And obviously there's a huge amount of demand for, for that kind of skill set. And obviously that's what attracts a lot of recruiters to it. But I genuinely think the way you are successful in tech recruitment is no, it's not, it's not dissimilar to the way you'd be successful in any recruitment, to be honest. Um, mm. And when people ask me, you know, what is recruitment? I'll always try and distill it down in as, as few words as I can. But the, the one key word really that boils down to is relationships. You know, it's the big R. It's about actually investing in relationships. And it's amazing where those relationships will go. Because uh, you, never, you never know when you first start, you meet somebody for the first time. You know, um, I had a great example actually recently uh, of, a, of a chap who I placed as a, a CTO into a, a fintech business. And I tracked back our contact and our relationship um, from the very first. So it was a really nice story because I actually placed him as uh, one of my first placements in recruitment as a software developer. And we stayed in touch and then I've ended up you know, helping him into a CTO role. Uh, but we worked out, we'd actually known each other for 10 years. That's incredible. <laughs> so, yeah, so you know, we kind of kept that relationship going over a 10 year period. And it's just really nice, a really nice story, you know, and I feel personally really proud that you've kind of helped a mate really in many ways, you know, transition into one of the most important uh, roles of their career. So, uh, so yeah, to answer your question in a very roundabout way, it's just actually about building good relationships with people. I mean, you've obviously got to find the good talent um, and then you've got to attract the good talent. And I've certainly got my thoughts around how you stand apart doing that. Um, but it's actually just building the relationship with somebody, taking the time to, invest in that relationship you know so rather than just doing everything over an email or you know over a call it's just go go meet them for a coffee they're, they're people at the end of the day and i think that's the thing that a lot of you know in my opinion middle of the road mediocre recruiters miss is that they think that pieces of paper you know cvs they have on their uh, in their inbox are just invoices waiting to happen but they don't really look at it like well actually there's a person at the end of that cv you know and they've got their own career aspirations their own dreams fears anxieties about their career and it's about actually just getting to know that person and, and only when you do that really can you i think give them the right level of service when you actually understand what's what's making them tick and what they really want so i, yeah. I, I think that's one of the most annoying things about recruiters i think from again from not from a hiring perspective from a candidate perspective is that again i i will get at least one email a week from a recruiter that's just gone through MailChimp or something and uh, asking me whether I want a KDB developer role in a bank. And I'll be like, if you look, if you, if you had bothered to look at my LinkedIn profile, you'd see that I haven't done that stuff for years yeah. and I have my own company. Why, why would I want to move? Um, and it, it's just, it's just the fact that it, it's it's that it's that thing again, isn't it? It's 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 getting quantity over over quality from yeah. uh, from from these people. So yeah, getting that relationship, I think, right, is is really important. But that provides a nice segue into the next question, I think. So, you've been in recruitment 
in the recruitment game for, well, since the beginning of your career. And what is it about the business that keeps you at the top of your game? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, because recruitment in in many ways, you know, it does attract a lot of very bright, ambitious grads straight out of university that really kind of want to go and, you know, there is the the great thing about recruitment is there is the potential actually to be making very good money um, quite early on in your career. So, you know, 18 months, two years in, um, you know, you could be, if, if you're really on top of your game, you could be pushing towards six figures. Um, you know, and there's not many careers out there, um, yeah. I guess, probably being one of those now, but there's not many out there where that, that's, that's achievable. So within a relatively short space of time, you can actually get to a space where you're, you're quite, comfortable i guess i mean i wouldn't i'd never go so far as to say the job is easy but you get to a place where you're earning good money and you've built your network and that kind of thing um so how do you keep motivated and how do you kind of keep at the top of your game um because this is coming from somebody you know i've been in the industry for 13 years and speaking very personally and frankly there have been times where my my motivation has massively waned you know it's it's, it's gone in peaks and troughs and there's times where i thought actually do i really want to do this anymore is this is this for me um but I'm still here and I'm still doing it. And I think the reason is um, I had a bit of a, well, I don't know whether you call it a midlife crisis when I'm 36, probably, hopefully not, <laughs> maybe a little bit earlier. But I had a bit of a, a dawning realisation a couple of years ago, just before I started True North. Um, and I realised that my kind of thought process and, and how I've been really thinking about the job um, was, was really in many ways, like a lot of other recruiters, you know, it's very kind of, self-serving it's about you know how much you can uh bill how much money you can make and that kind of thing and and it just you get to a point where when you focus on yourself all the time and you focus on your own paychecks and that kind of thing it's just not an enjoyable place to be and the, the happiest moments i have in recruitment you know, in memory are when you know you're really giving somebody a great service and they're just genuinely really grateful you know because i always say you we, you know, we're not rocket scientists, but we do help people make one of the, the three really big decisions in life. You know, you've got who you who you love, what house you buy, and what job you do. You know, three really big decisions. And you know, we can genuinely consult and help with a lot of people to make one of those really big key fundamental decisions. So the the the, the realization I had really was just take the focus off yourself and put it onto somebody else. And if you turn up every day with the intention of genuinely going out there to help others, you know, not, not to self-serve your own interests, but really, really help others. Um, I think the byproduct of that is, you know, you're going to be successful in your industry anyway, but it is just something that gets me out of bed every morning, you know, and I can turn up to every phone call, every meeting, whatever it is, you know, a pretty confident state with my head held high thinking, right, I'm just going to see how I can be a value to this person rather than how can this person be a value to me and that's unfortunately where i think a lot of the recruitment industry still is and, and it's not that it's not down to necessarily the, the people that go into it it's actually the, a lot of the leadership in recruitment a lot of the old the old guard of um, you know leaders in recruitment they just you know have this mentality where it's just all about money money makes people happy and, and it doesn't yeah we, we know that we've seen it time and time again it's it's all right it's an important part of the puzzle but it's not the only part of the puzzle and um, there's a lot of other stuff that goes along with it such as purpose and fulfillment and all that kind of thing and that's um yeah and i'm sure we'll probably talk about it at some point but really the principal reason i started true north was because i wanted to build a business which 
bucked that trend of the, the stereotypical recruitment business and, and had more of a focus on others and, and actually helping and giving back in community and charity and that kind of thing. So, um, so yeah, that, that would be my answer in a nutshell. There's some, there's some really sort of nice little nuggets there. Um, and I, I didn't, I didn't, that's really quite impactful um, that, yeah, you're right. It's um, recruit, recruitment is a way to, is a way to fix up one of the three major decisions anyone takes in their lifetime. Um, I've, I've never really thought of it that way. And that's, that's really, really important. But in those moments, you said that you said uh, sometimes you lack motivation. It comes in peaks and troughs. In one of those waning kind of motivational moments, have you ever thought about pivoting to something completely different? I mean, I imagine recruitment, the skill set required to be a good recruiter is not too far off, for example, from being a good salesperson. Um, have you ever thought of pivoting? Yeah, absolutely, I have. Um, so when I, I left my previous company, where I'd been for 10 years, um, you know, I really took a, a long, hard look at what I was doing before I went back into the, you know, I didn't want to jump out of the frying pan into the fire. And um, I definitely got to a space where I was very unhappy. I was very disillusioned um, didn't really enjoy the industry much anymore. Um, so, yeah, to think about whatever things could I do, you know, what, what skills. And you're quite right. I mean, recruitment is a, I mean, I, I hate, I hate when sales gets a stigma attached to it because you know, it sort of goes hand in hand with dishonesty and that kind of thing. But in, in the same breath, you know, unfortunately, a lot of people have had that kind of uh, stereotypical service from the recruitment market. So you can't really, you know, um, argue with that too much. But I do think sales, being good at sales is an extremely transferable, useful skill. Um, so if you've got those kind of people skills and, you know, you are able to communicate and um, educate and consult and influence, then I think it's... Uh, a very um, useful skill set to have. But um, the, the biggest bugbear I had really with, with uh, you know, kind of the way I was doing my job was just, it was literally like rinse and repeat. It was kind of coming in and this was sort of pre-COVID, right? So going back to the, the point I was making about the mentality of a lot of, you know, old school leadership in recruitment is it's like, right, there's a phone. You literally pick it up, you dial it a hundred times a day till you get through to somebody. And it's just, I just constantly felt like I was bothering people that didn't really want to be spoken to working that way and I think there's a much better way of doing the job which is actually about being um, in your market in your community in a meaningful way and building a brand building a company brand but also building a, a personal brand and I think a large part of that is down to uh, marketing and the way you actually market yourself um, as a as a personal recruiter so one of the things I was really interested in, so I'm not, I feel I'm quite a creative person in many ways. I don't like to sort of do the same thing day in, day out. And, you know, it just gets very boring very quickly for me. So um, I looked into digital marketing and, um, you know, learning. I've always been fascinated about how the internet has just totally revolutionized the world we're living in, in the last 40 years. And, you know, how that's a trend. You know, look at Amazon, it's a trend that's just not going anywhere now. Um, everybody's going to be buying and selling over the internet for, for yeah, the rest of our days, I'm sure. So I wanted to learn more about that um, combined with with marketing. And, and what kind of happened is, A, I really enjoyed that. So I did a, a few courses and sort of got a sort of a new education. Um, and then I thought, Do you know what, there's a real opportunity here that I think a lot of people are missing. And it's actually just not necessarily reinventing the wheel, but it's reframing the way that recruitment is done. 
and uh, you can actually use a lot of digital marketing education around building a brand and getting out there and you know sort of getting into a community and use that in a recruitment context so that's really kind of where the brainchild for, for true north came from and i guess you know the fact we're here doing this podcast now is probably testament to that because you and i met when we you know we obviously had a, a grabbed a virtual coffee but then we got together and collaborated on an episode of the podcast so you know we, we uh, the, the python people podcast so um you know we, we create some content we put some good content out there. I think, yeah, your episode was a, an absolutely awesome episode and got a lot of really good feedback from it. Um, and it's just about creating value in the community. And I think by doing that, the byproduct is you're going to increase your your brand, your reputation, and, and ultimately your your sales, if that's what you want to call it. So, uh, so yeah, I kind of deviated away, but but sort of came back in and built on my my, my sort of experience in the industry. And and now I really couldn't be happier because I feel like I'm doing something I'm good at, but doing it in a way that I think is sustainable and uh, you know it's a, it's a nicer way to ask people that are coming into the business to do the job as well uh, because they feel like they're actually building their own personal brand rather than playing a, a cog in a machine for a you know a, a bigger company so um, yeah you know. no, that's that's really cool and I think it's I, I do think it's very innovative the way you the way you approach the market because it's not your bog standard send lots of messages on LinkedIn it's get to know people, get to know the community. It's um, getting getting really stuck in in that. But your your um, uh, so, so is it Python podcast? Uh, Python, Python books, yeah, um, is is testimony to that because the, the the types of people you're getting onto that onto that podcast is incredibly relevant to the to the types of people that you are not only marketing to but the people you are uh, recruiting yourself. So um, it's, it's a very innovative way of doing it. Even so, I mean, recruitment can't be easy in the startup world. I mean, most startups, for example, don't have, I mean, they have a hard time spending money on anything, right? Yeah. Um, how do you square that with the companies that you work with? I'm, I'm going to assume a lot of them are startups. There's a sweeping assumption there. Um, yeah. Yes, good, good, you know, really good question. I mean, we're actually really sector agnostic, so we don't sort of focus specifically on a, a niche. I mean, we, we, sorry, we do focus on a niche and it's very technically focused, so data science, machine learning and, and kind of software engineering is where we make the lion's share of our placements. But from a sector perspective, we're, we're quite um, broad uh, because we generally see a trend of a lot of um, candidates wanting to move from you know one, one market to another. Um, so... Um, we deal with clients from, you know, big, um, you know, multi, multi company blue chips all the way through to smaller startup scale up companies. And, and the conversation, interestingly, doesn't really ever change too much, even irrespective of budget. There's, there's always a bit of a reluctance and a reticence to spend uh, money on recruitment agencies. <laughs> um, and and I'm, I'm a realist on that and I recognize that. And I kind of always will turn up to any meeting and say, look, Mr. Mr. Manager or Mrs. Manager, if you can find these people directly in the market, please do, because you're going to save yourself a hell of a lot of money. And, and again, I kind of see part of my service as, as being really honest with these people about what they can do to attract better talent in the market directly, because all right, that whilst I could be, that could be seen as shooting myself in the foot. I also see it as actually it's a way of me really demonstrating to them that I'm, I'm kind of wanting to partner with them and I'm on their side. And if you really build that trust and create that value for people and, and, and help them, I think only good things, you know, will come off the back of it. Um, 
so uh so yeah that's that's my sort of take on it but but really what i what i say to people is you know it's an investment and people people probably are your greatest investment in your business if you were to distill a business down it, it, it's pretty much going to be the people that are within the business so if you're not sort of prepared to invest in the people that are within the business then what is the what are you prepared to invest in you know um, yeah those and those people so th- those people that you talk about are also themselves only productive if they're truly happy and excited about the role so how in your experience what is it that makes a candidate truly happy and excited about the role that you place them in um i mean everyone's different right everyone's got different different motivators so it's, it's certainly horses for courses and i think again that is what truly differentiates a, a great recruiter from an average recruiter is somebody that actually takes the time to understand why that person's different and what they want and they don't sort of do that you know blunderbuss uh, approach where they're just firing one cv out and expecting every single client to want that candidate and, and vice versa um but that said there are some common themes certainly that i find in the world of you know recruitment speaking to candidates that um that, that definitely ring true and a lot of people kind of uh, prize um you know above all else and the interesting thing is for a lot of people it's it's not money <laughs> and that's that's the fir- that's the first kind of um myth i suppose in the in the market is that most companies think that oh well you know this person's gonna leave us and uh you know they try and do a last minute knee-jerk counter offer to give them another 5k and it's like well do you know what if you actually spoke to that candidate it's probably not the reason they're moving in the first place because very often you know when i speak to a candidate that's unhappy it's not usually around their package um yeah of course you have conversations with candidates where they, they feel a bit undervalued but it, it certainly doesn't rank at the top in terms of most people's preference so um i'd say the biggest things really that we see are um around purpose so playing a role in something that is bigger than themselves um again going back to the point i was making about you know recruitment um i think a lot of people become disenfranchised with a job because it's just so focused on how much they can build, how much money they can make. It gets to a point where it's just not enjoyable anymore. And actually you want to play a part where you are making a change, you know, you are making a difference in the world. So for a lot of people, and I think certainly since COVID has come around as well, um, we've had a lot of candidates that have, you know, sort of t- taken stock of their lives and have been in investment banking and hedge funds and go, do you know what? I don't want to do that anymore. I don't enjoy it. And I, I want to go to health tech you know look, look at GBI and the great work you guys are doing you know there's 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 businesses out there that people really want to get behind well, uh, well I was going to ask you that so so I mean, you, you're in the machine learning data science software development kind of space and, and um, you must have seen a, a huge shift in the psychology and the marketplace um, during during COVID uh, during the last 18 months how has that how has that actually changed things for you so yeah, absolutely. I mean, it has for for a lot of people. It has really made them take stock of what they're doing with their careers, um, and 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 not necessarily even just down to the industry, but I think just around the, the quality of life that they had and 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 the way they were sort of living their life. You know, a lot of people, myself included, for you know, you kind of just you grow up. You you almost accept that you go to school, you get a job, and then you, you walk around like this zombie for ten years, basically commuting <laughs> into an office and out of an office five days a week. Um, and you don't really ever question it or you know, kind of on autopilot. And, and obviously the, the last you know, 12, 18 months have been pretty horrific for, for lots of reasons. But I think one real positive change that has been born off the back of this is it has forced 
you know, change for um, home working and, you know, digitalization um, of, of processes and, be, and, and people being able to work remotely. Um, and I think that's only a good thing now because, you know, the companies have realized, you know, certainly a, a case before, I think, where the reason people didn't work from home, it was, it was down to a lack of trust. It was down to the fact that most companies thought people working from home, they're going to be slacking off or they're going to be stealing company data or whatever it is. And I'm really, really pleased that that myth has been fundamentally disproven, um, you know, because so many companies' productivity is actually, I mean, it's, it's actually shot up during COVID, you know, um, and people have really kind of just just proving it can work so um so that's the biggest thing i think a lot of a lot of good candidates now would be really remiss to go to a company where they're having to be they're being told you have to be in the office five days a week because there is no good reason for it. Really. Yeah, I mean, I wholeheartedly agree with that. That is one of the thing, one of one of the bugbears that I I found when I was going into the office, you know, traveling an hour and a half on the tube to Canary Wharf or wherever, um, was that a whole bunch of time was just being wasted, just sitting there, totally. reading paper and or just listening to music, and that, that's that's productivity time that's gone. So I, I'm not, I for one, I'm not surprised that actually people don't slack off at home they tend to work pretty pretty much you know pretty pretty harder i would say um and uh and, and therefore companies are quite happy for for the employees to work from home more often than not now um yeah. do you enjoy working from home I Given your yeah. interactivity i mean you, you have to have coffees with people all the time you have to you know it's, it's a very like you're saying it's all about relationships how do you yeah. maintain that um, I, I, I must admit, I was a bit worried when obviously, so we started the business pretty much just before the pandemic arrived. And I was thinking, God, because bearing in mind, my whole approach is, and then really how I aim to differentiate myself from people is rather than just do a phone call is I'll, I'll, you know, I'll do a phone call with a view to booking a coffee, going to meet that person and having a face-to-face -face interaction. Cause I think that's how you truly establish a relationship. Um, so obviously when that wasn't a, a possibility anymore um during covid i was thinking god but you know it is incredible how technology such as this you know video communication how okay it's never going to fully replicate the quality of interaction you're going to have face to face if you're in you know sat having a coffee with someone or a beer with someone or whatever but it does make the job infinitely more doable um and that's one thing we've realized now that you know we don't need to be in an office um five days a week we can have very meaningful conversations like this um, but what's also happened is, and again, I think how people have surprised the powers that be is that there's this sort of resurgence now to, to, to wanting to get back together and socialize again. So, you know, I think a lot of we've started going in one, two days a week into London um, and that's absolutely perfect for me personally. I've got a young family. And again, that's one of the things I really resented about being told I had to be in the office five days a week is I'll go through periods of Monday to Friday literally not seeing my kids at all uh they'd be asleep left yeah. and they'd be asleep in the evening when i got home and you know it's no, it's no quality of life and you're just not gonna play a part in your kids lives so yeah to have that balance now where i have breakfast with my kids every morning you know dinner every evening i do bath time every night um it's fantastic and but also being able to go up into town a couple of days a week and spend time with the team and you know go go for drinks and yeah that that's just perfect to me and i think i hope that's kind of where most companies will get to now um yeah and that, but that's the thing that's what's right for me but i think the, the place we need to get to is what's right for the person not what's right for you know the, the the leaders of the company because everybody's different you know a mother of three 
may have very different circumstances to a, a young 25 year old grad that's just graduated you know they may want different things but I think that's where the companies that really get this right off the back of you know this uh, this pandemic will be the ones that that are that offer the right solution for the right people and they're flexible in their approach to realize that you know it's um it's it's not one one size fits all uh, yeah I, I think i think that's right i feel the same way about about um spend spending more time with the children although ironically at the beginning of lockdown so two weeks into the lockdown there was a sign on the office door saying do not come in if the door <laughs> is closed <laughs> um so it's 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 a double-edged sword being being at home with the with the children especially when they're not actually going to school because of covid um yeah, but yeah definitely 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 much better i think um, working from home and i think that's that's that resonates with the with a large majority of the workforce um so Working from home represents this huge shift in the way we work, and I guess the way you you operate as a uh, as someone who places uh, people in their perfect role. Um, but if you were talking to uh, a sixteen year old about their career choices for when uh, or when they come out of uh, university, what would you be advising them to look into now? So where do you see the next big thing happening? Yeah, um, yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I guess I'm looking at it through relatively rose tinted glasses because I live in the live and breathe this space, you know, sort of five days a week. But um, I do feel that tech, you know, is is just a no brainer. If you have a particular interest in that area, um, you know, the, the internet has changed the business landscape beyond all recognition over the last 40 years. And it's absolutely revolutionized the way that we interact, the way that we buy, the way that we sell. Um, and I think having an understanding of really the most powerful tool that we've ever had from a business point of view can't be a bad thing so learning how to code I mean I've, I've, I've got my horse a little bit here now but my, my wife's a teacher and I have conversations she's a maths teacher I have mm. conversations with her very regularly about the speed at which the business landscape is evolving and changing and then you look at the curriculum in school and it's pretty much exactly, certainly the same as what I was taught, you know, like 20 odd years ago. And I'm pretty sure it's probably the same as what was taught 20, 20 30 years before that. Yeah, where there, there were two different worlds, you know, the pre-internet and then there's where we are today. Um, the the the, edu- the curriculum is just not catching up anywhere near at the speed it needs to, in my opinion. And I'm talking, and I'm not necessarily just talking about software engineering as a skill to learn, but I'm talking about things like, um, yeah, financial advice and, uh, and money management and things like that, just stuff that you're not taught at school at all. And then you kind of entered out into the, the open world to fend for yourself. And you kind of think, you know, we surely we have the ability now to put together a more, uh, you know, a curriculum that will make more well-rounded, well-adjusted um, you know, people in the market. So, so I do think tech is one of the things that, you know, personally, as I say, I'm probably looking at it through quite rose tinted glasses because that's what I recruit in, but I recruit in it for a reason. I think it's where the market's going to be, you know, for the next, well, forever, really moving forward. So um, that's what I would say, to be honest. And I think machine learning particularly is a really interesting area that, you know, making life easier for people, automation, you know, predicting behavior. I think, again, that's something that's just, not going to go anywhere it's only going to become more and more uh, important to every business so i think machine learning is a particular facet of tech is is really important but but sorry yeah. i was just saying that but, but, but to be honest the, the and, and 
I'm not going to be one of those kind of uh, dads to my daughters that, that sort of constantly tells them what to do. And, you know, I think, you know, there's, there's a large part of enjoyment in life is just learning by your own mistakes, doing, doing things that you enjoy. And I would always just, I'm only going to really give my daughters two pieces of, of career advice when it comes to them going out into the world of work. And that is number one, do something you enjoy and don't focus on doing something just for the money. And number two is just do something that's going to help others. Because if you can provide a service for others, doing something you enjoy, it will innately have a value to the market. And if you can do those two things, all right, you might not be Jeff Bezos or you might not become a millionaire, but you, you're probably likely to do it better off the back of it. And you're probably going to have a much more fulfilled and happy life. So if you can do those two things, I think that's that's the best genuinely probably what i'd say to a 16 year old you know if i was speaking to them about their career choices now and that's that's really that's really great advice and actually my next question was going to be um are you gonna are you gonna try to encourage your daughters to to do coding um yeah i i, I will um definitely because you know I, I do think as i just said it's a really really important thing um i think getting it right in terms of timing is a really important thing as well and and um you know I think the world and, and, and you look at sort of gender diversity in tech and all that kind of thing, you know, it's, it's, it's such a hot pot at the moment and, and, a, and a hot potato that, um, but I think that the, the, it sits far deeper than an earlier stage than, um, you know, the business world. I think it's, um, I think it's an education level. Well, that's something that's, that's something I actually picked up on your LinkedIn profile and the mission of your company, True North, and, and the reasons as to which you, you, set, that, you set that company up with a, with a very lofty goal of addressing the lack of gender diversity in technology. Um, what, why do you think there is, there is this lack of gender diversity in, in coding, in IT in general, in technology in general? Yeah, really good question. I mean, I think I think everybody often does try and blame interviewing processes and the world of work and that kind of thing. But I do think it fundamentally sits at a much deeper level. And I really would go back to, well, probably pre-education, actually. It probably boils down to kind of societal gender stereotypes and, um, you know, they're just constantly reinforced by society. And you know, when people ask me, why did I focus on gender diversity within tech? I'd like to say it's for, you know, really altruistic reasons. I'm just a, an amazing human and I want to make the world a better place. <laughs> yeah, Actually, I'm sure you are. Well, yeah, thank you. But the truth <laughs> is, genuinely, it was uh, because I've got two daughters and, you know, I, I can see that they you know potentially might not be getting the same choices or the same opportunities in life because of the way the world works at the moment and yeah i do, I do think there's you know there's innate things within boys and girls and and um you know i'm being very general when i say this obviously i don't want to offend anyone but um i think you know i've, I've got a couple of daughters you know they, they have a tendency to play with dolls we provide dolls cars all the toys and you know um, my brother's got a little boy he loves cars you know, we can see just when they play together that we're not pushing them in any direction, but it's just innately within them this kind of um, preference to play with certain things. That then gets, I think, reinforced kind of back into society. And, you know, our children get railroaded quite early on at a very, you know, susceptible age to a certain route and a certain preference. And I think that STEM, STEM subjects, you know, for a lot of girls, they just don't really ever 
um, from what I can see, you know, they're not really ever prioritised or championed as much as you know, maybe something like the arts. And I think if we can, if we can sort of debunk that myth and sort of get turn that on its head and actually introduce kind of, you know, um, STEM subjects to girls as a very viable way of, you know, then I think there's um, there's more of a likelihood of that filtering into into the world of work. So. I think it's getting better. Definitely the gender diversity element of things is getting better and it's more accepted now and, you know, it's, it's evening up, but it's still, you know, a, a kind of a, a 15 to 85% um, balance of men to women in the, in the tech market, which is obviously very far away from 50, 50. Um, so. Uh, Has that changed over time over your, over your group? Because I remember when I was, when I started in tech um, in the two thousands, it was incredibly male dominated. There was, eventually one um one female developer on the team out of dozens of of, of men um has is that is that do you, are you seeing that change slowly changing over time yeah i mean i can't i can't say for sure because i can't remember the exact um percentage when i first didn't enter into recruitment but i've, I've got about five percent in my head i think it was about five percent when i when I, well, I was told you know the diversity balance existed so, yeah. so it's definitely moving you know the needle is moving it's moving in the right direction and um one of the uh things i'm really excited about actually is is the the rise of of roles like um data science data scientists where it sort of you can bridge that gap between um, tech and coding and the business as well. And I think that we're seeing, I'm certainly seeing a lot of really exceptional female talent in the data science space because, you know, um, and again, not sort of gender stereotyping here, but, you know, a lot of girls have got really good, like social skills, people skills, they're good, they're good listeners a lot of the time. And, you know, they enjoy solving problems for the business, but they also enjoy the tech side as well. So we're finding a lot of a lot of really great um, female candidates are sitting really well in that data science space because uh, they've got the capability of doing both sides of the coin. Um, so um, yeah, I think that's really kind of exciting space moving forward. And, and that's really again why it's you know we've, we've focused on that particular area because being in data science and machine learning, it's it's probably one of the areas of tech where it's more um more capable and more, more likely to actually find good female talent so um so yeah it's, it's sort of a strategy that's uh we're really enjoying and, and sort of working well for us so i think that i think this is great that, that you're that you're focusing on this because it is a is, it is a real um a real issue that we that we don't have diversity I'm, i look at i've got i've got a son and a daughter my son's actually getting really into coding um, or sort of getting sort of entry level kind of coding. Now, my daughter's still young; she's she's only six, but she has absolutely no interest in touching a PC. She has absolutely no, and she'll she'll sit down, she'll happily play for a couple of hours with her dolls. And we, like you say, we don't encourage that actively, but we're kind of just letting her do her thing. We're not really pushing. Not, not I don't want to use the word push, but we're we're not making the availability of other things to her i guess uh, and so i i for one uh you know i'm stem obviously and and um as you know from from jiva and, and so is my wife and we would both like to see her move, kind of move in that direction um so it's great that you're that you know you're at least one recruitment agency that is actually specifically addressing this gap um because it is a real problem can you talk yeah. a little bit more about what you're doing specifically within True North to to address that gap, though? So, how do you, for example, t 
target those individuals? How do you encourage those individuals to go into data science, machine learning? Because I'm sure there's lots of there's lots of women in in maths, for example, that might not necessarily go into go into those kind of uh, uh, job roles. Yeah, yeah, sure. So um, it really depends on obviously the level of role that you're recruiting. So more of a, a senior role, I guess generally speaking would require somebody that's already got that sort of pre-existing skill set so if you're recruiting for a senior data scientist for instance then we would obviously need to go and find a, a senior data scientist to do that role um however if we're recruiting for more of a, a junior level role or a, or a grad um then we'll actually you know we'll we'll, we'll specifically go out there and obviously on the provide on the um understanding of the client and make sure they're happy with it but it would actually be the relatively blank canvas of um you know, pre-existing experience because obviously most people at university don't have any yet um and then we would go and um you know focus the search around identifying great female talent that have come out of stem um degrees um, essentially and introducing uh, the world of tech and data science to them because again you know for a lot of people that have a very numerate um brain and they're very you know uh, capable of, of uh, you know, performing strong mathematics and calculations so anyone that's come out of a, a maths or a physics degree are probably equally capable of entering into the world of data science as someone that's come from a computer science degree so uh, probably maths probably more so actually because the statistical modeling and, and, and that sort of thing so yeah. yeah it's just about introducing it to people and it's really exciting when you have that conversation with somebody for the first time and they're kind of yeah i've, I've kind of heard about data science you know i'm, I'm actually really interested in statistics so uh, yeah, tell me tell me a bit more about it and, and you know you literally sort of introduce it to them for the first time and kind of put it on their radar that's a really yeah really um rewarding conversation to have because you hopefully kind of yeah and i always say it's, it's just about being being the change that you want to see in the world and um you know that's that's what i want to do uh, for for my daughters i want them to have that opportunity somebody to have that conversation with them at that stage um and uh and yeah but i guess in terms of the you know going back to the, the point we're making right at the beginning about how do we identify good female talent and you know about how we're able to deliver them it really doesn't boil down to much more than what we're talking about of um yeah, building relationships it's actually about you know identifying good candidates and then genuinely investing in the relationship and you know we, we target every consultant in the business to um, go out and identify um, the top 300 candidates in their marketplace essentially mm. because you know, going back to the point that you were making yeah, you don't want to have a, a scattergun approach where it's all quantity over quality um, you know you don't need to be working with every every man and their dog to um, basically you know do well in this industry it's about identifying the best talent and genuinely fostering and you know, nurturing those relationships and and uh staying in touch with them so that's that's basically our approach is we find good people we meet them we invest in them we build the relationship and then lo and behold when they're in a position where they're you know they've they've um had a you know um they're running with their boss or you know something's happened in the business or they're, they're risking being made redundant or whatever we're usually at the first uh, the first people they'll come to because we've taken the time to get to know them and build that relationship when you know they weren't looking so when they are looking, you know, we, we would always usually be the first people that come to. Interesting. Interesting. Well, it's been a great conversation, Guy. We're coming to coming to the end. We always end the podcast with a few quick fire questions for which you're entirely unprepared. And um, they're, they're randomish questions just to get a little bit into deeper into your mind. Who is Guy Bevington, basically? Um, 
I don't know myself, so this will be interesting. <laughs> well, they're not they're not deep and meaningful questions, actually, but just 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 a little bit of fun. So, if you were the prime minister, mm. who would you have replaced Matt Hancock with? <laughs> oh my goodness! Um, I mean, I would probably say Jonathan Van Tam, but he doesn't really. Uh, he's obviously professed that he doesn't want to get involved in the political side of things, but he's about the only guy in throughout this whole pandemic that's had um you know he's come out of it really positive hasn't he yeah it seems like he's got his head on his shoulders so if he would have been up for it probably him um cool. but uh, yeah i guess so cool um what's the dumbest thing you've ever seen on a cv <laughs> um oh my word i mean there's so many that it's uh, it's kind of taking me a while to filter through them all in my own, in my own mind. I mean, it, I don't know. Dumb's probably a, a harsh way of categorising it, but <laughs> something in terms of like really, really funny. I mean, when you get to like the section on a CV, some of those literally are you can literally sit there and read them all day, like you know, tro- tropical fish grooming and things like that, and just things that you <laughs> like. Is that actually a thing? Um, so, but I really I enjoy reading those because you kind of get a you get a feel for the person, and obviously it makes good conversation when you end up speaking to them. But yeah, I've seen a fair few weird and wonderful interests. Put it that way. Cool. A data scientist, a machine learning engineer, and a software engineer are locked away in a school computer in a school's computer science lab to work on the next big thing. Who wins? Well, they're all pitting against each other and they're all building something. Yep. Uh, so there's a data scientist, a machine learning engineer, and a, a software engineer. Software engineer. Uh, ooh, very interesting. I mean, I love data scientists, but I would have to say, unfortunately, they kind of sit at the end of the food chain as far as they need the data to be able to actually make anything meaningful happen, generally speaking. Um, so it'd be a toss-up between the data engineer and the software engineer um i probably have to go software engineer just because if they were full stack they could probably get get the data but then also build something build the business logic but then also make it look quite nice and shiny on the front end so depends what they're building but i'd I'd probably have to clump with software engineer cool psychometric profiling for hires good idea or bad idea bad idea (laughs) <laughs> that is pretty that that was you were right on there that's that's interesting, that's interesting. yeah i just i think it's a, a way that people basically assume that there's this uh chart of how you can measure you know i, I just i don't agree with it fundamentally to be honest because it just also means you're probably going to be taking cookie cutter blueprint everyone has to be the same kind of you know and good teams we all know don't you know they're all they're diverse they're made of different people with different personalities different experiences and um, so, yeah, I, just, I don't really agree with it. Interesting. What's the better hiring strategy for an early stage deep tech startup? Inexperienced but cheap or experienced but expensive? Mm. Do I have to just pick one or can I, can I go blended approach? You can answer as you like. I would, I would say it's always going to be a blended approach. I mean, you, you, of course, there's going to be a space for ambitious enthusiastic passionate grads that can pick up tech quickly and um, obviously they're going to be very cost effective and very useful in a startup environment but you also can't have the blind leading the blind you need to have 
some people in there that obviously have been there done that got the t-shirt and they may cost you a little bit more but ultimately probably going to save you quite a bit of money if you uh, let a load of grads into a room going out there building the wrong thing two years down the line you're going to waste quite a bit of cash so i'd, I'd I'd have to err on the side of caution and go with the boring answer of uh, a blended <laughs> approach, if that's all right. Good answer. Would you rather play football or watch football? Oh, God. I do a bit of both. Um, I suck no, at the no more playing. boring accents, answers. <laughs> um, yeah, I know. I suck at the playing football part, so I'd probably have to say watching football from a uh, an enjoyment perspective. Um, but I do, I do enjoy playing football. It's just uh, I need to get better at it to probably get any form of uh, long-term reward out of it. But yeah, at the moment, obviously watching a lot of it. Oh, uh, yes, of course, your yours, yeah. Yeah, it's a pretty good tournament, isn't it? Yep. If you could rewind the clock to when you made your first career choice to get into what what you do now, would you have changed your direction of travel? That's a really good question. Um, Probably not because now I feel like I'm doing it in the right way. It's got a whole new lease of life and I kind of feel I've had the ability. I feel I could have done it in the way I'm doing it right at the beginning. Um, but life's a learning curve. So if I hadn't gone through what I've gone through to get to where I am now, um, yeah, you know, so probably not. I don't think there's much else that I would do that I would be better suited for. Um Maybe unless I tried a bit harder at the football thing and then got, got good at that. Um, but no, I think just, um, yeah, you know, I'll probably stick with what I'm doing, to be honest. Great. Guy Bevington, what a fantastic conversation we've had. Thank you for joining us on Startup Talk Up. Thanks for having me. Absolute pleasure. <laughs>